This is Alternate Take. I am your host, Danny Rodriguez. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, man, we brought you guys the sheriff. That's right. The wide herb of LA. Mr. Alex Villanueva. It was exciting, man. Um, the dude has a wealth of knowledge on everything LA. You know, the shithole that is LA. And for him to be able to spill all those details was fucking cool. It was very cool, man. Um, the guy knows what he's talking about. And he's very well spoken. And I think if you've lived in LA over the last 10 years, you you were curious what it would be like to be like a fly on the wall on some of these high-level meetings, whether it be with board of supervisors, local politicians, whatever. Because the city's a disaster, man. It has been for a long time, but it's getting worse and worse. I mean, look at uh, look at the podcast master, Joe Rogan. He up and left, took his buddies with him, opened up a comedy club in Austin, Texas, and it's the biggest place in the world now. It's the new comedy store. I mean, that's how much influence he has, and he's not the only one, man. Everyone's leaving. Um, but we touched on that a little bit. We touched on his experience. I mean, the dude was a sheriff. You know, that's on his resume. Like, I've had like 10 jobs. All my jobs suck, dude. My resume looks like ass. So high-level guy, man. It, it, it was very exciting. And he even laid a little Easter egg at the end. He mentioned whether or not he would run again or he would go into local office or even higher than that. I don't know. You're going to have to listen to the whole interview, baby. That's how you're going to figure that out. Um, and that's what we're going to do for you. So without further ado, I bring to you guys the 33rd Sheriff of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, Mr. Alex. Villanueva. What is up? This is Alternate Take, and we are back with another episode, man. We brought you guys a very special guest. We brought you guys the 33rd Sheriff of Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, Mr. Alex Villanueva. How you doing, sir? Not too bad. And yourself? I'm doing good. Just a normal Wednesday, hanging out, having fun, talking to some cool people. So it doesn't get better than this. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while now. Um, super exciting. We kind of are a big do-it-all here. We talk to everybody, sports legends, comedians, um, local legends, everything, everything involved. But um, your experience being the sheriff of Los Angeles County for the last four years has, is a unique one, to say the least. Um, not many people say they get to do that. And you've seen behind the curtain, you've seen everything. So it was exciting for me to be able to get your take on all things that most citizens are worried about. But uh, before we get to that, I want to start with Mr. Alex Villanueva first. I want to get your background a little bit. Uh, tell everybody uh, where you grew up. I grew up in uh, in upstate New York, Rochester, New York, and then as a little kid, and then my family moved to Puerto Rico when I was nine years old. So my formative years in school were on the island. Oh man, Jeez. Then I joined the Air Force in uh, in 1983 at the tender age of uh, I was 19, and I wound up. In California, just luck of the draw, rolled the dice, and Norton Air Force Base used to be in San Bernardino, and from that was in 83, I got there, worked the flight line, miserable hours for, uh, I was making, I started with 563 bucks a month, so if you look at what people make today, they'll laugh at that, but that was it, and then I signed up for the department in 85 during the summer of the night soccer. And I uh, came on in 86 and uh, the rest is kind of history. Wow. Jesus. 563. What was that uh, minimum wage an hour <laughs> at that time? Back in those days, minimum wage was 315 an hour. <laughs> they totally don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> now it's like 30 bucks an hour. I don't know what the hell it is. It's something crazy. Jesus. Wow. That's interesting. And now, um, what was your uh, reasoning for joining the sheriff's department? What were your aspirations behind the whole idea? 
Well, I went back to, well, I ended up in the Air Force because I was in college, but Ronald Reagan back in the early 80s decided to cut the Pell Grants in half, which was kept me in college on the island. So joined the military, wound up in, there and work on the flight line at 40 degree weather in the rain at two in the morning. I thought, you know what, I think I need to go back to school because I got to, this is not an end game for me. So went back to Cal Poly Pomona, went back to school and I liked the public sector. I liked serving in the military. It was great. It attracted to me. So then while I'm, you know, working uh, part-time and going to school, I said, you know, I, I need to land that full-time job again. This is, this is going to be tough. And then I saw the ad, dull jobs are crime, fight crime, be an LA deputy sheriff. I said, well, what could that be all about? So I called the number and it, I remember the first thing they said, oh, you make 2100 a month. And I was like, what? 2100 That's like a 300% increase from what was in the military. Where do I sign up? This is great. So uh, that was a start. Wow. What was like the uh, the hiring process for you back then? I, I hear uh, a lot of people talk about how, especially in the 80s and 90s, how it was really hard to, to become a cop back then. One of my uh, good friends is a comedian, Willie Barsena. He's a legendary comic. And uh, he credits him being a comic for him failing the, the application process to becoming a deputy. So they kicked, they didn't take me. So I tried comedy and it took off. Oh, you know, they had a, a written test. that was 120 questions and everyone was afraid of the written test. And they had the thing you had to decode these flags and figure out the pattern. And it was just logic, reasoning, basic math and stuff. And no, I did real well on it. And, and it was, it was easy to get on board, but, the failure rate, as I came to learn later on when I was working in the academy, it was roughly 50% plus are weeded out just on the written test at the beginning. So, yeah, by the time you get to who gets hired from every 100 applicants, you wind up with two. That's that's the math. Go figure. See, so now the math, I can't imagine what the math is now. It's probably, I don't know. I mean, the hiring process now, I'm assuming it's much different, obviously. But um. Wow, that's crazy. Once you're in the sheriff's barn, did you ever think at one point that like, you know, later on down the line, I would like to be a sheriff? I, I was thinking about that in my head when you're when you were the sheriff and I would see you on TV all the time. And there was I don't know how many officers and deputies shot in the line of duty. A lot of them died. And you were at every press conference. You're at everything. And I was thinking about that as I was seeing you there. I was going like, man, like. What a crazy job. Like this dude never sleeps. Like I have complained about sleep now and I'm 30. I was probably 25 at the time, 26. And I was like, he's married. He's got kids. He's got responsibilities and you got to be on time. You got to have a suit ready to go. You got to be at these press conferences. You got to sound like, you know, what you're talking about, you got to get information in five minutes and then give a whole thing to everybody. Like, what was that? Was that ever in your mind when you're when you're working for the sheriff's department that maybe one day I might do that? Well, I was always a keen student of leadership, and I paid a lot of attention to what was going on in national politics and here in the state of California. And I remember in the 92 riots, seeing how the department kind of didn't do very well. And it was not that the, the line deputies that didn't know what to do. They were ready to kick ass and take names. It was a sheriff at the time, Sherman Block, kind of had everybody stand down while the city was burning. And people running around like, why aren't we getting in there? And then Daryl Gates from LAPD did the exact same thing. And which led to the, the burning and the pillaging and going on 
until then they decide, okay, now let's intervene. But I remember that moment like, wow, that indecision led to absolute anarchy, billions of dollars lost, 58 lives that were, you know, were people killed during the, these riots. And I remember, you know, we get, there's got to be a better way than that. And I kind of kept that with me as I advanced through the department. And I looked into running for a sheriff back in 92, but then I concluded, no, I can't do it. I, one, I don't have either the name recognition or credibility at that young age to be sheriff, but I do knew, I did know that there needed to be change in the way the department was run. So fast forward 2017, I'm running for sheriff, but now I have a whole history behind me and, and I'm much more solid ground and we were able to achieve the impossible. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of things you guys got to achieve that I think just regular, just the regular people of LA were just completely thrilled about. I mean, everyone's seen the homeless crisis for the longest time. Everyone's sick of it. We're done with it. Like, it's not that, it's not that that phrase means we don't have empathy towards these people. It's just like, there's gotta be something done, you know? And it can't just keep going, Oh, I hope everything gets better. Cause it's, it's not. And yeah. um, you made a big difference in that. You made a big difference in a lot of things. Um, And it was interesting to see how it played out because I think as normal citizens, we were we were thrilled about the job you were doing, but for some reason there was pushback, whether it be from big media or the, um, the local politicians in LA or the board of supervisors. Um, tell me about that experience and, and what that was like for you, because you know I think the you know the regular blue collar dude around LA were rooting for you, and it seems like the people at the top didn't really have the same views as us. Well, with the just on the homeless front, which is a real good point, when I took over. We only had four deputies on our homeless outreach service team, one lieutenant and one sergeant. That was it. A total of six people for a county of 10 million. And the problem was just exploding in 2018, 2019. This is before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, it even went faster. And people started seeing the visible encroachment of encampments everywhere in LA County. It wasn't Skid Row anymore. It was the beach communities. It was Venice. It was the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It was downtown, Placito Alvera. You know, the whole area, all of a sudden, it's all over the place. Even on the freeways, in the, you know, the sides of the free, the embankments of the freeways, we see in Homeston, something we never saw before. And I just saw the reaction from the city and the county. We're like, like you said, yeah, they're wishing away the problem, but they had no concrete solution. So, recognizing that tourism is like the number three industry in LA County, right behind uh, manufacturing, I, you know, the, the tech manufacturing, aerospace industry, the entertainment industry, tourism is right there. $18 billion a year industry for LA County. It employs hundreds of thousands of, of workers and they were just going to let it die on the vine because they wanted to do virtue signaling, show how compassionate they were while people are dying on the street. So I thought, you know, screw that. We can employ our host model and let's target somewhere else. So we went to Venice to the boardwalk. You know, all hell broke loose. All I had to do was show up in uniform on the boardwalk and I wear my hat because, you know, I, you know, I'm a cancer survivor. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, there he is just striding out of the, you know, wearing a cowboy hat and this and that. And it was comical. And then Sheila Keel, the supervisor, how dare he? And Mike Bonin, how dare he? Yet they weren't doing absolutely anything, nothing. And the place was being destroyed by the homeless from out of state, the overwhelming majority. 
And we did something. We took the initiative. We ran with it. We started getting people connected to services and to housing. We shamed Mike Bonin into doing something. And the whole boardwalk got cleared up in the summer of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic. So by the end of the, the right around Labor Day, the boardwalk was clear. And the community, they were just ecstatic. They were doing cartwheels, thanking us. Oh, my God. The deputies showed up there with a summer enforcement team. And they were, please come eat at our restaurant, please. And posing with the tourists and all that. They were greeted like heroes. And they did the right thing. They did their job. And we didn't care. It said L.A. County on the patch for someone who was complaining about, you guys don't know what your jurisdiction is. Yeah, it's L.A. County. Are we in L.A. County? Shut up. And it worked. <laughs> I love it. I feel like also, I mean, if you're using the phrase, how dare you after Greta Thunberg ruined that phrase for anybody. Not like most people were saying that anyways, then like, how dare you use that phrase? Okay, that's not a good thing to say. But um, also, I do like the part that you mentioned about all the restaurants and stuff. That's a big deal. Um, One of my early interviews that I had um, when we had just started up was Carlos Roman, the owner of uh, Bread and Barley in West Covina. And I remember... um all the issues he was going through with uh, with COVID and getting shut down and very popular on um, on YouTube. And I saw you stop by there, actually. And I was like, it was probably, I don't know how long after. It may have been before I interviewed him or after. I don't really remember. But um, when I talked to him in person, he mentioned that. He was like very happy about that. He's like, man, that meant a lot to me because you don't feel like anyone has your back when you're the small business. You just don't. You feel like this community around you does, your family, your friends, but they they can't go there every day and, and support your restaurant it's it just doesn't make any sense but um tell me about that that was really cool i thought that was a really good uh, thing for you to do well we wanted to make our presence known because barbara ferrer you know dr death or tales from the crypt or whatever name people describe her she uh, really destroyed the economy here but she was empowered by the board of supervisors literally shutting down businesses with no other reason than they could but when you look at the hard data, they didn't have any hard data or science behind it. In fact, when they were pushing people to shut down all the industries, especially the restaurant industry in particular, all they had to do was give them the time to, hey, let's transition to outdoor dining and we're back in business right away. No, they killed them all. The only ones that survived were the corporate restaurants, the corporate chains, the people that could weather you know, anything, a shutdown of two, three, four months. And then when they started carving out the exceptions, who are the ones that will benefit from exceptions? The big box retailers, not the mom and pop stores that people relied on in their neighborhoods. So it was targeted. It was irresponsible from the board, from the governor down all the way to the county board and the public health, totally irresponsible. And then when it came to decision making on enforcing it, they just assumed that we were going to jump when they said, you know, jump. It's like, no, we know what we can enforce and what we cannot enforce. And we have a DA that refuses to prosecute actual crime. You think they're going to prosecute an infraction of someone not wearing a mask? You're out of your mind. And I explained to them how the cow eats the cabbage and the sun rises in the east. And oh, my God, the hue and cry from the political establishment again. How dare he, you know, go against, you know, the the official agenda or the official narrative. Well, they were full of shit. I pointed it out to them. <laughs> and I, we all loved it. Trust me. It was it was refreshing to see because, I mean, we, we look around the world. This stuff's happening in Canada. It's happening everywhere um, um, where these rules are just getting made up and people just kind of fall suit with them. It's, it's really disappointing when you see 
a police officer or a deputy or whatever um, enforce a rule he knows he shouldn't be enforcing, such as that. Like, we're going to shut down a business because, well, I can't. I'll lose my job. Or you're like, yeah, but, dude, you got to lie. I mean, you got to look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day, dude. Like, you really want to do – like, it's just a tough thing. I understand. Like, I'm not saying you're a bad person. It's just tough, man. Like, I, I, I don't know what I would do in that situation, but I know I wouldn't want to. Um, but it was honorable to see you do that. I know the citizens – Valley County were stoked about it. I was. It, it made a big difference. And uh, I think it, it at least it made me curious into thinking, what were those conversations if anyone was a fly on the wall with the Board of Supervisors like? Like, I think if we're in that room, how messy did they really get? I mean, I know um, we'll get into this later, like the debate stage and whatnot, but um, how frustrating were those meetings with you, trying to get things done? Because we actually have a I was going to interview an LA city councilman and he told me off the record, you know, unnamed LA city councilman, but he told me off the record, he's like, I can't say anything really. He's like, uh, he's like, I lean more this way. And he's like, I, I, anything I say, they just, they they'll they'll thrash me. I'm done. Like, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate to hear that. Like, what was it like for you? Well, I, somehow they labeled me an anti-vaxxer. I was vaccinated and boosted <laughs> and I became an anti-vaxxer. Oh, the Trump of LA really kicking ice out of the county jail and I'm the Trump of LA. But that is how the the idiocy of the far left progressive echo chamber. That reality doesn't matter to this crowd. All they're doing is going to misinform the public in in the public that's ignorant and relies on them for information. Well, they're led by the nose wherever they want them to. So they pegged me as an anti-vaxxer. When I pushed back against the county, they wanted me to fire 4,000 employees. 3,000 deputies and 1,000 civilians. And I told them, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to fire anybody. We'll accommodate the people that don't want to get vaccinated. Okay, do weekly testing or get the vaccination. Either one, your choice. But I'm not going to impose a health mandate on my employees that they may not agree with. That's not my position. And that was the same position as a president, the same position as a governor. Did you ever hear the Board of Supervisors denouncing the president or the governor? No, of course not. They only denounce the sheriff. And then they label me the anti-vax where I'm telling people, hey, it's not going to work to prevent you from getting the disease, but we'll minimize the impact when you catch COVID. Your symptoms will be less severe. You'll be more likely to survive. And that that's it. Call it what it is and stop pretending it that's going to prevent you from catching the disease. Right. Yeah. You know, we've had on um, Dr. Peter McCullough on the podcast twice. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone comes on the podcast next week. He's the patent owner of the mRNA vaccine and they call them anti-vaxxers. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, they're calling the most knowledgeable people of knowledgeable people anti-vaxxers. So, I mean, their credibility is completely lost, like you said, especially um, the point you made regarding tourism. I mean, this is the third, I think, straight year in a row where the numbers of California have dipped. Um, big time superstars have left. You're talking like uh, someone as influential as a Joe Rogan whose media reaches bigger than anybody in, you know, cable news or just independent news. He's probably the most streamed person in the world. And he he left. It doesn't stop talking about how bad it is here. Um, his friends have left. His You know, more celebrities are leaving, especially if you can afford to leave and come back just for your Hollywood gigs or whatever. Um, do you see that ever coming back anytime soon? Do you um, leading into the new wave of things? You know, I think, like I said, I think a lot of people wanted you, you know, to be a sheriff again um, and it didn't pan out. But do you things do you see things ever coming back? Because I, I, right now in L.A., I see a lot of negative perception. I don't see a lot of hope um, within the citizens. 
um, within the sheriff's department. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people that work in the sheriff's department. A lot of them are, um, I would say, pessimistic about the future. Um, as opposed to when you're in there, they're a lot more optimistic. Um, what's your view of the next coming years? Well, it really, it's about an ideology. This is a battle for the heart and souls of Californians. The progressive ideology has been an absolute failure from day one. But because the far left controls the legislature, the board of supervisors, city hall, they control the narrative and they control the press, the L.A. Times. So when things are going really, really bad, they just don't report on it. Look at the D.A. The district attorney's office is, is one major dumpster fire. They're missing about 200 out of, 12, out of 1,100 attorneys are gone. They're missing. They're not coming back. A job announcement that gets thousands of applicants, barely 100 people apply for it for 200 openings. So do the math there. And 31 retaliation lawsuits against the DA. He lost one for $1.5 million. That was the very first one. And all the other ones have as much substance or not more than the first one. So it's a horrible track record. They're not filing cases. There's over 10,000 felony case backlog that hadn't even touched yet. They're running out of statute limitations. You have executives in the DA's office. They're having to go to court, do filings that the entry level DA does because there's no one left to do the work. So massive raging dumpster fire. How much of this did you read in the LA Times? None. <laughs> now, phantom gangs, the, the phantom deputy gangs, oh, my God, it's an existential crisis. We have to eradicate them. And, you know, light the torches. We're going to march on the Hall of Justice to get rid of all these deputy gang members. Who are they? Who is who? I don't know. And you see how it is? So they manufacture a crisis, and all the coverage of the world is thrown at it. And the real crisis radio silence and that is how the public is tragically misinformed in la county and you know, the whole state of california for that matter yeah no i i couldn't agree more i, I think the whole huh, the gang thing i thought was very silly i i think it's weird how we put a spin on certain things just because we feel like it you know you see military people marines air force like and you have tattoos and it's like it's considered prideful like oh wow thank you for your service and then those same people leave to go be police officers, they get a tattoo. It's the same thing, pride. And they're like, bad person. <laughs> it's just all of a sudden, it's a, now, no, it's no longer a thing of pride. It's all of a sudden, you're a gang member, just like everybody else. And it's, it's very strange. I don't know why um, we do that, but it does come from the progressive ideologies. Like you said, it stems from that. I, I don't know why it's been celebrated. I don't know why it's still being utilized, but um, people fall for it. It's so crazy to me. <laughs> I, I mean, I have family members and I have friends that I really, I grew up with the biggest friends and family and they're all gone. Like I'm probably the only ones here are just my brother and sister and like my mom and dad and like everyone else gone. I'm in Washington. I'm in here. I'm in there at different States. Mm -hmm. It's almost bottom. It's almost not even sustainable anymore. Like unless well, people that are deputies, what you make over a hundred grand a year and you're still like, I'm broke. And you're like, Jesus. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, during the camp, when I ran in 2017 and one in 2018, I raised uh, I think $145,000 total, right? Family, friends, and small gatherings, everything I could. And all the planets lined up in the right order. We got the help from other, other sources, and it worked. So when I ran for re-election, I raised $3 million, and it wasn't hard at all. It was just a lot of work. But 
in the process, I did fundraisers in mom and pop businesses, blue collar places, and, and in the titans of industry, Beverly Hills and all those places where the rich and shameless go. And I heard from them, a lot of them, people with, you know, with a seven, eight, nine, ten figure uh, net worth, and they're leaving or they left or they're shutting down their home in LA and they're already resettled in Texas or Florida or other places other than California and Tennessee. And they told me, man, I, I just, I hope you, you hope the best for you, but we're done with LA. We're done with California. And again and again, it was the same thing. Uh, uh, the lack of uh, progress in terms of fighting homelessness and crime, the lack of a sense of security and the high taxes. It is just makes California's undesirable place to be. And the people that have the means will exercise their right. They'll move away. But these, these fools in Sacramento and L.A., let's throw another tax on it because we want to solve something else and show how grandiose we are with our virtue signaling. You know, I, I, I like the uh, the fundraising too. My uh, my good friend, Gil Creel, who you know very well, he called me uh, on one of them and he said, hey, you son of a bitch. That's, the first, that's how he greets me. And he said, you're buying a ticket to, to Alex Villanueva's fundraiser at Stephen's Steakhouse. And I was like, got it, Gil. I'll buy it right now. It's <laughs> just no questions asked. <laughs> God bless Oh, God bless him. You don't question the guy who caught the nice soccer. You just do what he says. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's very true. And it's it's very interesting to see how it all played out. It really is. It's very, it's disheartening, but it's also, I'm, you know, it's it's weird to be in this situation, I think, for everybody. I want I wanted to ask you too, sir. Um, you know, I think this would be a good question on behalf of like regular citizens. I think everyone right now is so um worried about crime and so worried about what they can do against crime. I, I see it every day on YouTube, and so does everybody. Um, person getting robbed you know, defends themselves. Now they're the ones in jail. Um, you know, what, what, how do people navigate this culture now in LA where you almost have to play defense against someone who's playing only offense. They got nothing to lose. These violent people, like you said, the DA is not prosecuting, prosecuting anybody. Um, mm -hmm. and is very proud, proud of that by some, what, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but, um, what should regular people look out for? What laws should they be aware of? that cover them on, on, a, on a situation where they are defending their family or themselves or something. When is it going too far? Like if you're a jujitsu man and someone's robbing a 7-Eleven, like what can you do and what can't you do? What are these things that people should know so they can feel well, safe in society? Well, you, you got to be smart for one thing. For example, if you're in your house and someone's trying to break into your house, knock yourself out. Okay. If that means the guy's breaking through the front door and you blast his ass, God bless. <laughs> that, that person that's he won the darwin award all right but by the same token if that person heard you racking your gauge and is running away don't cap around after him and shoot him in the back see the difference there yes sir big difference when you can exercise the discretion and not shoot and kill somebody particularly you don't want it in your own home because then you have to disclose when you sell your home you're not going to want to live there anymore. And oh, by the way, I shot this person in the home. It's a ghost here. <laughs> it makes the real estate transaction kind of awkward. So you just got to play that smart. And the same thing on the street. If you're a CCW holder, for example, be a good witness. Only intervene when there's no there's no other recourse that you have than to say, hey, 
I got a gun. Stop doing some stupid. Stop hurt. Stop hurting that per- that person. Then there's a point you can intervene. Cops are on the way. Hopefully, you call 911 first. But be a good witness. Don't intervene unless you have absolutely no other choice. And if your family is one being assaulted, knock yourself out. You know, I pity the fool. I think Mr. T used to say. And yes, you have the right to defend yourself by all means necessary. And I think people just got to be a little bit smart about that. But also, don't make yourself a victim. Don't do stupid shit like going to the bank at midnight, ATM, to take a cash withdrawal. Because there's some asshole on a mini bike or a little BMX bike right by the machine waiting for your dumb ass to show up. Why do you think they're there? And people will still do it and wonder, oh, man, I got robbed. You know, that type of stuff. You got to be smart. Same thing with the, the stupid cell phones, you know. You get the dumb uh, text with a weird uh, link. Uh, oh, yeah, hey, your your password has been compromised. Here, reset it here. And people actually clink it and yeah. do stuff. And then, hey, somebody drained my account. Yeah, because you're <laughs> stupid. And and then you have the, the senior citizens. They have all the money. The crooks know this. They're flooding them with phishing scams and all kinds of things. Hey, we kidnapped your grandson, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, there's so many scams and they keep trying new ones. Even county council falls for them, as we found out when uh, uh, the Ch- Mary Wickham, chief county counselor for L.A., she was part of a, a scam. Hey, there's a warrant for your arrest. So, you know, pay us. And she said that I was threatening her. So I sent the deputies to go threaten her. Really? And <laughs> oh, they ran with it. And then the supervisors were, oh, my God, that is so uh, disgusting and how dare he you know all this shit and then when we actually found the crooks arrested them brought them to la they had nothing to say oh we're sorry no they had nothing to, they couldn't even believe that we caught the guys actually right. it was a couple in georgia uh the girlfriend out of this prison the boyfriend in prison in georgia they're running a scam calling people in la using a real deputy's name but it's typical hey Years warrant, you didn't attend trial, you were supposed to go as you know, on a subpoena, blah blah blah. And that's uh, that's the game that's being played. People just got to be smart and be a little tougher, harden the target. Absolutely, the t- toughness is the key, especially with these cyber crimes with this chat GBT and the ability to like recreate anything. My, my brother got one like a year ago, it was he got an email with his password as the subject, subject line. And then the scammer said, we have your password and we also have all your video cam footage and we have videos of you abusing yourself, essentially. And we're going to post them if you don't give us this much money. And he said, post them. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) And he's like, look, I'm fat and I'm out of shape and I'm ugly. I don't care. No one's going to watch it anyways. (laughs) But I I like the whole idea of just like, dude, just double down, whatever, okay. man. Like, you know, like I'm not going to give in to your terrorist demands. It's not going to happen. Here's a here's a new scam that uh, happened to a, a family friend of ours, a uh, little kid, uh, I think, a teenager, uh, and got in an online chat, video chat with a, a female, and then the female talked to him, and they played the "You show me yours, and I'll show you mine," whatever that kind of thing went. Yeah. And then flipped it right around and says, okay, we're going to show this video to all your family, everybody in your in your group. And got caught cold. And it was reported. We were able to, you know, with, with local law enforcement, uh, they did investigate. I think it was Riverside County. But that's 
how creative these things are now. Finding a weakness and exploit the weakness. And everything you think you re- you know, realize that there's assholes out there planning the next versions of all these different things. So we're constantly chasing, okay, what's the newest trend going on in cyber crimes? Right. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned Riverside County. Um, I wanted to ask you that too as well. What was your relationship like with um all the other sheriffs? I, I met Sheriff Bianco actually about two weeks ago at a at an event in Temecula. Super nice guy. The most the way he seems on YouTube and everything else is exactly how he is in real life. Just a regular mm-hmm. down to earth kind of guy. Um, what was that like for you guys? Because I, I know um I saw an interview with you where that was mentioned that like the governor never met with you guys and all these things. Was that like something you guys talked about? What was that? What was that like for you? Yeah, no, the governor hides from the California State Sheriff's Association. He's afraid to death of them because he has no power over them. See, chiefs of police are beholden to the city manager, the mayor, the city council, whoever appoints them. And in California, they're all far-left progressives, so they're basically hostages. So he'll go meet with the chiefs of police, knowing that whatever he says, they have to oh, my God, wonderful idea. You're the best, governor. (laughs) <laughs> Whereas the California state sheriff, so tell him, you know, you need to really go screw yourselves because right. we think you're full of shit. Right. He doesn't right. want to have that conversation. So he just avoids it. So Chad, a good friend of mine, big supporter of each other when we were in office uh, together. I'm Shannon Dyke with San Bernardino, Don Barnes, Orange County. In fact, we had a uh, tri-county uh, sheriff's forum last year, which was real well attended uh, at Chino Airport. And it drew a share, almost a thousand people to it. It was pretty nice. That's awesome. I love that. Um, I wanted to ask you about your debate um experience as well. I thought that was awesome. I thought everybody thought it was awesome. It was it was cool to see that you know go down and <laughs> you're a puppet. It's my favorite. I I know you said it cooler and more elegant than that, but I loved the phrase behind it all. What was your experience like um on the debate stage? Because you look at the YouTube comments and everyone's like Villanueva burned him. He got him. He's way better. He's way more smart uh luna doesn't look prepared yada 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 um what was that experience like for you um going to the whole debate stage it was it was tremendous for me to watch at least well i always look forward to debates because for me it's a challenge it's like solving a rubik's puzzle because i'm going to find a uh whatever the question is and i i i know what i know in terms of the department the organization the history our pluses our minuses where we can do better what we've done good so I can bring that to the stage. And I did it back in 2018 when I debated McDonald. And it didn't work out very well for him. And uh, you should take a look at that uh, that video, that debate. But with Luna, the one time, one hour debate we have on stage, he was ill-prepared. He didn't know what he was talking about. He just thought all he had to do was keep repeating the words, uh, was it chaos, dysfunction, and scandal? He kept saying it over and over again. And then... He's going to build relationships and he's going to collaborate with partners. And you hear him today. That's all he talks about is relationships, partners and collaboration. But he has nothing to say because he's nowhere to be found. He's, I don't know if he spends his day hiding under his desk or the, what's going on there, but it's getting kind of weird. No, I agree. I, I really thought about that because, I, like I said, I mentioned earlier that I saw you at everything. I saw you all the press conferences. I saw you everywhere. One a.m. I, I, you know, I haven't really seen him or he hasn't done a good job i would say making himself noticeable um to the regular viewers or to the you know members of his department or whatnot um and it's interesting i I don't know what to expect from him in the next couple years i don't know if things get worse if they get better um 
obviously I'm always hoping things get better. Whoever's running the show, I hope it gets better no matter what, but I don't seem that I'm not that optimistic about it. If I'm being honest with you. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, what was your favorite part about working with the sheriff's department and your whole career? Um, you've done every stage. You've literally done it from top to bottom. I mean, from literally from the bottom to all the way to the top, you know, and not many people can say that, you know, I think that's exciting. It's very cool, but you were a patrol officer, you know, you were, uh, you worked for the Academy. You got to give back to the, the new generation. You, you got to work at great stations and do your whole thing. Um, what was your favorite part of your career? Probably my favorite part of, the, of, of my career was actually in patrol as a deputy. Um, going to a scene of chaos, of real chaos and a disaster, a tragedy, and just having the weight of the organization behind me, trying to turn it around and make sense for the community, you know, instill a calm in those who are fearful of everything and trying to bring some sense of order out of this chaos and uh, taking, finding the bad guys and taking those assholes to jail. That was always fun. But having the organization behind me and we're all united in a common sense and purpose, that was great. And then doing it as sheriff on the bigger stage, I could do the same thing. Like we send a team of 20 deputies out there to the beach, make the place safer so the tourists feel safe on the beach. And they did exactly that. Take another group. All right. Hit the trains. Make that place where, you know, everyone can feel safe taking their whole family on a train. And they did that. And so what we did when we set ourselves out to do these big ticket items, we're able to do them. And then the mundane, the everyday things, handling calls for service, getting there in quickly, making a difference, having the people feel satisfied about what service they're getting from the department. That was that was that was fun because that was all about enhancing organizational pride and that sense of purpose, serving the community and seeing the deputies really embracing it. I mean, they were taken off on their own. Hey, we can do this. We can do that. You can see them starting to figure out how do we solve things? How do we help this homeless guy who in a broken down car in Carson who was living out of his car and he was a vet? They knocked it out of the park and it was all of them doing it themselves. It wasn't anybody else telling them what to do. They came up with it themselves. And that's what it's all about. And that's what distinguishes, I think, the sheriff's department from probably every other agency is we're we were in the business of creating leaders and promoting leadership. And then how that manifests on the street, well, everyone does it a different way, but the idea is, yeah, save the good guys, catch the bad guys, make a difference. I love that. There's that there's that old famous video of those uh I think it's those gang members or something getting caught on audio where they're like they talk about I think they're talking about LAPD or something briefly. And then they they say something, but then one of them mentions the sheriffs and he's just like, Don't don't mess with them. Don't mess with them. It's not a good idea. He says something to that effect. I don't know. It's something hilarious, but um, you're right, and I, I do I do appreciate that response. I think it's I think it's very interesting. Um, what would be the advice you would give to someone who's still trying to join either this department or just join law enforcement in general? I mean, there's still some brave people out there that are looking to sign up, and mm -hmm. there's people that are looking to people like you for insight for um motivation when times are down you know and there's 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 deputies that are working now that are still looking to you looking at your instagram your posts your interviews that are still using you as inspiration to keep going during these times what advice would you give to either people trying to sign up or are still working right now 
on why they should still keep doing this job in this crazy state and when they feel like they're alone right now? Well, I can tell you this. They're needed. Everyone is needed. Every applicant is needed. Everybody, every deputy is right now wearing tan and green. They're needed in every single capacity, be it in patrol, be it in custody, be it in specialized assignments, detectives, uh, the hut hut boys, you know, the hog in the smog, flying, all these people, they're all needed. And every employee is needed in some capacity. The department is going through a dark day right now, but that dark day is going to be over. Mr. Luna is going to be a one term sheriff. And uh, we're going to get good leadership back to the department. And the department is always going to be needed by the community. It's that silent majority that appreciates them. And they got misguided by the, the corrupt crowd at, at the board of, board of Supervisors. But I think there'll be a there'll be a bright future. We just got to take the fight right to the devil himself. And that is that progressive branch of, uh, of the Democratic Party in particular that's destroyed government at the state level, at the county and the city level. We need a functional government. We need the left and the right, conservative, liberal voices to work together. Imagine that, right? And all <laughs> of a sudden, you're going to start seeing policies that has something that everyone can, okay, I can go for this, I can go for that. Not this, hey, our way or the highway, screw you, you don't exist because we've canceled you. No, none of that. We need to hear everyone's voice. Every deputy is needed and we need to get back to full strength and then some. It's just not going to happen with the fool that we have in office right now. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, sir. Last question for you. Um, what can people expect for Alex Villanueva in the next coming years? I know there's there's rumors about um, local office. There's rumors about bigger than local office. We're talking state stuff, even bigger than that. Do you have any aspirations to uh, either still be involved with the sheriff's department or maybe go further up in, in government by any means? Well, I've, I've, I've acquired a unique experience being elected sheriff and the way I got to become the elected sheriff. I've taken a path I don't think anyone's ever taken before. So I brought the working man's ethic to an executive position and enacted change that was necessary without being a filter through all the, the lens of the people climbing the corporate ladder and all that stuff where good intentions kind of fall apart. No, I went raw right into the office and said, let's do the right thing. And we did the right thing. And I can take that experience and I can use it back, righting all the wrongs now of the department, or I can take it on a bigger stage the question is, what is my family and I willing to, you know, to do? Because it is a huge undertaking. And that's a question I, I don't have an answer to yet. But I do know I have the capacity to take my experience and put it on the stage and make it work either at the state level or at the local level. We'll, we'll see what is what is best. Uh, and we'll have a decision sometime down the road. I love it. Well, we're all rooting for you. So, uh I'm sure people will be staying informed as best they can. Do me a favor, sir. Tell everyone where they can find you on social media, where they can keep up with any news regarding you so they can they can stay tuned to these cool updates. Well, you can do every Wednesday at 11 o'clock. I'm on Instagram and Facebook Live. You can catch me at Sheriff Villanueva33 on all the social media platforms. And then also on CR, CRN Talk. I have a radio program Monday through Friday from 10 to 11. So you can tune in on Facebook with CRN Talk, which is digital radio, the iRoke, and uh, all the different streaming services. iHeartRadio has it as well. 
and we roast bad politicians, we roast bad journalists. So the Times and the Board of Supervisors are always up front and center there. So we have a lot of fun there. And you can call in with your questions. I'll take every question. I don't care if it's against me, for me, or any topic. I like to have the debate and uh, take all comers. I love it. Mr. Villanueva, I had a great time talking to you. I appreciate you stopping in. All right, you got it. This has been Alton's Take. We'll see you guys later. Peace. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with Sheriff Alex Villanueva. Thanks a lot for stopping into the show, sir. Appreciate you. Um, this shit's fun, dude. You know, I talk about it a lot, but uh, this podcast was just built off having a good time, man. Interviewing people that are highly influential in any area of life. And it's just been exciting, dude. I mean, we're still a nobody podcast, to be honest with you. But we're climbing, man. We're like Alex Honnold, you know, up that... Up that Al Cap, dude. Free soloing, dude. That's what we're doing here, man. I'm going to make sure it's to say up the Al Cap because that's what the fuck we do at Alternate Take. Um, but thanks again for everyone tuning in. I put all of the sheriff's links and everything that he's doing in the podcast description. Go check that out, man, um, to keep up with him. You never know what he's going to do next. And for us, you can follow us at Alternate Take DR on Instagram. And then check out our uh, new YouTube channel. It's like a progress in the making, whatever that phrase is, because dude, honestly, I've just put, I just put the zoom interviews up and I'm just like, what's up? This is the interview. Fucking listen to it. That's really, it. I don't really add any extra special effects to it or anything yet, but I'm sure I will get to that eventually. Um, we're working, man. We're cooking, but, uh, go check that out, man. And, uh, thanks for supporting guys. I really do appreciate it. So, um, that's it. This has been alternate take. I am your host, Danny Rodriguez, and I'll see you guys later. Peace.